Awaken podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Awaken. My name is Micah. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, a special welcome to you. However you found us, whether you're watching online or listening by audio, um, we're really glad you're here. Uh, If by chance this is one of your first times or you're somewhat new to our community, I want to let you know there's an opportunity for you to, an invitation for you uh, to fill out an online card that lets us know that you're here and gives us a chance to follow up with you. So if you're looking for a community to connect with, we would love to help make that happen. So um, we want to begin this morning. It is Monday and uh, one day after the tragic death of Dante Wright and um, It's hard to know what to say, uh, and yet we know that lament holds a very important place in the life of the people of God throughout Scripture. And so uh, I think when we don't know what to do, uh, this maybe seems like one thing we do know to do. Uh, In fact, right now, 6 o'clock, there is a vigil uh, being held at the site where this happened. Uh, Maybe some of you are there. But we want to begin with lament, and so uh, just a minute, Kathy's going to come up and read a prayer that she's written, Um, and then Dan is going to offer a piece called Kol Nidre, which is uh, a cello piece that is played on Yom Kippur, um, which is the Day of Atonement in Jewish culture, Um, and it's a lament. Uh, And so we want to sort of begin our time in that way, posturing our hearts and um, aligning ourselves with those who suffer as much as we can. Uh, So I want to invite you to that space this morning as we begin. To you, O Lord, we cry this day. How long, O Lord, will we scream? Not again. O Lord, hear our cry of ache, of anger, of mourning, of repentance. How long, O Lord, will our hearts ache for the taking of the life of a young man, a son, a friend, a father, a sweetheart, a neighbor, a community member, a life, a life worthy of respect and breath. How long, O Lord, will our anger fume? Will it fume over the violent disregard for human life? 
How long, O oh Lord, will the rage of the black community who has experienced centuries of oppression, a bias, and injustice go unheard, unheeded, and unaddressed? O oh Lord, we mourn. We mourn for the death of Dante Wright. We mourn with and for his mother and family. We mourn for the trauma of the young woman who was sitting next to him and watched him die. We mourn for our communities experiencing shock, grief, anger, fear, mistrust, unrest, and the reopening of tended yet not healed wounds. O oh Lord, we repent of how we perpetuate cycles of oppression, of how we have failed to see and join with Jesus as liberator and salvation for all. O oh Lord, hear our cry of hope to live and be the reality of God, to be cycle breakers of oppression, to be liberated from comfort, privilege, and supremacy. And all that separates us from God and from one another. To you, O oh Lord, we cry this day. Amen.
Kids, I hope you have had a good week. Amidst all the pain, um, we're just really grateful for the joy that you bring and the hope that you bring. Um, I hope that you guys enjoyed John and Bobby last week, and I want to say that next week we have another guest coming, so make sure you tune in. And also, most of you have probably finished up the Lent and Easter box uh, activities, and I want you to know that a new box is coming. The next box is going to come and be ready on May 9th, our first gathering outside. So you can pick it up there. Parents, you can register online now. It's, the link should be in the Awaken Weekly. So today, I'm going to do a little one-off. We've been going, we've been talking about activities from all the boxes and um, going along with what Micah has been teaching, but today I chose a story that I have been thinking about, and that is the story of Mary and Martha. If you have your Bibles at home, you can go grab them, pause it, grab it, and I would love for you to follow along and read with me from Luke 10, 38 through 42. Luke 10, 38 through 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. In this story, we have three main characters, three people, Mary, Martha, and Jesus. If you're listening with your family, take a few minutes and pause and talk about each person. What was their role in the story? We have Mary, who is excited and eager to learn from Jesus. She doesn't have a care in the world except to listen. She's at her sister's house. Her sister's taking care of all the hosting and everything else, and Mary just gets to listen. And then we have Martha, and Martha is busy serving Jesus. Someone has to make the food. Hospitality was so important at that time, and still is, right? When you're having friends over or a special guest, someone has to make some food or clean a spot for people to sit. Usually that's your mom or dad. In this situation, it's Martha. It was her house. And then there's Jesus. And Jesus was known as a rabbi or a teacher. And rabbis in those days very seldomly talked to women. It was not, it was not a good thing. They, didn't, they were told not to talk to women. But guess what? Jesus didn't care. He had no concern for what people would think of him for stopping at this house and talking to Mary. He welcomes and even defends Mary, right? When Martha, if you look in verse 42, he defends Mary. He's so happy to spend time teaching her and being with her. Now, look at verse 40. What do you think of Martha's complaint? She's not happy, right, that Mary is doing nothing, and she's like, Lord, why? Why do I have to do it all? What do you think of that complaint? And what do you think Jesus thinks of this statement from Martha? 
Notice that his response includes saying her name twice. Martha, Martha. Some translations might even say, my dear Martha. Now think about when you do something at home and your mom and dad get mad at you. Do they say your name twice? Usually it's once when I'm really upset, right? But what is different about saying Martha's name twice? Maybe you could hear it in the way I read it. Jesus sounds very calm. He sounds very kind. Martha, Martha, very genuine. And I believe this is an example of how Jesus responds to us. When maybe we don't do exactly what he is wanting, what he's desiring, he still comes to us with so much kindness and so much love. He connects to Martha. He, he restores. As he does that, he is, he is doing it in kindness. No choice we make is ever going to separate us from Jesus' kindness. Isn't that amazing? I also believe that Jesus saw both Mary and Martha the whole time. And Martha maybe felt like, she didn't get to be right with Jesus, so he, maybe she thought he didn't see her. He also saw Mary. I think he saw Ma Martha, and he also saw Mary and loved the time that she gave him. Martha wasn't doing anything wrong by preparing the food. Someone had to do it, and Mary wasn't doing anything wrong by just sitting and being with Jesus. Maybe Jesus is saying that both sisters were right. Had Martha not said anything about how she was doing all the work, and Mary wasn't, Jesus maybe wouldn't have said anything about choosing what was better, as, she, as he said to Mary. She could have gone on serving, Martha could have gone on serving and cooking, and both of the sisters would have been doing good. Have you ever felt like the good you were doing wasn't being seen or noticed, like Martha? How did it make you feel? Think about how Martha felt. Do you think Jesus saw what Martha was doing even while he was talking to Mary? Does Jesus see the good you do? Of course he does. I'm sure the people around you do too, even when they don't say, good job, right? They still see it. How amazing would it have been to cook a meal for Jesus, right? Martha maybe didn't see it quite that way at that time, but how much would we love to cook a meal? for Jesus, even if maybe we didn't get to sit right next to him and listen. But Martha was very concerned with Mary getting all the attention and the time with Jesus, which, if we really think about it, is understandable, especially from the perspective of us as humans. God knows, though, that we all serve him differently. He gives each of, each of us different abilities and tasks to do, and while seeing the way someone else gets to serve might make us feel a little jealous, like Martha did, we actually are doing what is important. As we've said before, if we all did the same thing, how boring would that be? How would our world get better if we were all just focusing on the same thing? There's so much to do. Someone has to serve, someone has to cook, someone has to listen, someone has to teach. There are all the things, and we can't do it all the same way. Just like Mary and Martha were both part of that story, and Jesus saw them both. Each of us have been made uniquely by God, and we all bring different gifts and abilities to the world. And God sees each one of us in those gifts and tasks that we do. We are seen by Jesus, by God. Next time you're feeling left out or jealous or less than, 
Know that you are exactly right just the way you are. You are enough just the way you are. You are good, and God sees you as good. Live each day with that confidence and love for others, knowing that Jesus' kindness and love is always with you, no matter what. All right, let's sing the song of blessing over our kittens. started a new series, and I introduced you to a friend of mine, a mentor, uh, Reverend Kelly Chapman. I hope you enjoyed him as much as I did. And the series is called Dear Church. So uh, I'm taking a couple weeks off of teaching for just a little break and uh, inviting some of my friends to come and share. And, I, and the, the prompt was, Dear Church, like if you could write a letter or you were responding or writing something to the church, like what would you want to say? Um, what would you want to say to the church at large, or what would you want to say to this church, Awaken, based on what they know of me? And uh, So this week, I have the privilege and honor to introduce to you my spiritual director. His name is Joel Warney, and uh, Joel is someone that I am so grateful for in my life. Um, we all have earthly fathers. We all have mothers and fathers who you know, help bring us into this world. And then there are those people who occupy the title, the role, um, who love us like fathers and mothers. Uh, and I'm, I'm grateful to be able to say that Joel is one of those people in my life. Um, and I'm really, really excited to share him with you. So would you welcome my good friend, Joel Warney. Thank you, Micah. <clears throat> so, Pastor Micah, uh, somebody once called Jesus a positive social deviant. Jesus was a positive social deviant because he deviated from the assumptions and the expectations of the culture in which he operated. And, um, <clears throat> But he did it in a positive way. He did it in a life-giving way, often in an unexpected way, but in a positive way. And this is how I experienced my friend Micah. Uh, you get to know Micah a little bit and you think, oh yeah, he's a lefty. And then the next time you're together, you say, well, he's kind of a righty. And uh, he doesn't let you sort of categorize him. He's not easy to fit into a mold. And it's because he like Jesus, is listening deeply. And he's in tune with things that are beyond culture and beyond this moment. And he's finding courage to uh, live and teach 
um, and, and lead um, out of his growing inner vis vision of Jesus. So um, Micah, thanks, and thanks for that, and thanks for this chance to be with you and, and your folks here tonight. Uh, so yes, this idea, dear church, what a privilege to be invited to come and <clears throat> uh, share with you what my heart would love to say to the church at this moment, uh, to the church general and to the specific church to awaken. And I think what my heart would love for the church is to just deeply hear Jesus' own words and his own yearning for the church. So let me read you just this little moment out of John chapter 16. Jesus says, in me, you have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. In me, you have peace. You will have trouble in this world, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Um, and so I'm gonna try to find a way to talk about this tonight uh, in the context of Easter. Uh, we are in Easter season now. Um, <clears throat> between Easter Sunday and Pentecost in the church year is referred to as Easter season. And um, I wanna talk about this idea of being well in Christ in the context of Easter. Let me start like this. A long time ago, the comedian Gracie Allen said that she was so shocked by what she found the day she entered this world that she couldn't speak for two years. Uh, it is a kind of a shocking world we find ourselves in. It's probably more shocking today even than it was in Gracie's day. But there's also, because of Easter, a kind of um, Easter has built into the DNA of this world a, a kind of a, an intrinsic rhythm that makes life uh, very beautiful and coherent and meaningful in this world. So today we're gonna to think about the journey that Easter invites us into and what we find unexpectedly is that it's a journey toward a deeper and deeper embrace of our own true selves. When Jesus appeared to his disciples, you remember uh, after his resurrection, Jesus appeared in the, in the locked room to his disciples and he showed them his hands. And Jesus' hands were both resurrected and wounded, right? Jesus' resurrection had not made his wounds disappear. But now after the resurrection and in Easter time, his wounds were no longer merely painful now they were also life-giving. They were life-giving to himself and to the people around him. Uh, this is the power of the resurrection. Now, you and I, like Jesus, have suffered many Good Friday experiences. We talked about one earlier as we opened the service today, uh, another death, or, and in this case, a literal death. But you and I, like Jesus, suffer our own 
versions of deaths, that is, of disappointments, of frustrations, of humiliations, of woundings, of losses, of things that are precious to us. And our deaths, like Jesus' death, our deaths mark us. And after we've experienced a Good Friday death, um, we are marked. We'll never be exactly who we were before the Good Friday experience. And the power of the resurrection is not that it makes us who we were before our wounding or before our loss. The power of the resurrection is that it offers to pour uh, a more deeply textured quality of life and well-being into the contours of the person who has suffered the Good Friday loss. And in that, uh, in that moment, and in that, it's not just a moment though, it's really, it's a process. In that process, what we find is that our own wounds, like Jesus' wounds, become not just painful, but actually life-giving. Life-giving for us and for the people around us. So, um, we're offered this. Um, we're offered this experience, this Easter experience, but it comes with a choice. Uh, we get to choose whether we will receive the Easter gift that's being offered to us or whether we will cling to the way life used to be before our wounding, before the loss of the precious thing. So will we receive what Easter is offering or will we in some sense cling to the past? We can never get back to the past, but it doesn't keep us from trying interiorly, emotionally. Or some of us might not wanna go back to the way things used to be. That wasn't so great anyway. Some of us might then sort of project a fantasy life that we wish was ours, a preferred life, a kind of an idealized life. And we, we delay um, happiness, we delay joy, we delay um, living in this moment fully with God um, because we, we demand to get the kind of life we would prefer to have. But the gift of Easter is it makes uh, the life that we're living, uh, the life, life as it is, um, a meaningful possibility. So Easter is a gift in this way, that it can make what is a place we want to be and, and we want to experience more and more deeply. Uh, but sometimes Easter feels like a very big gift and a gift that is oversized almost. It's hard to unwrap it. It's hard to get inside to receive the gift. And there is a period in the Gospels which is very helpful for us uh, in processing uh, our deeper and deeper entry into the gift of Easter. Between the resurrection and Jesus' ascension was a 40-day period, which isn't often talked about too much uh, these days, but it was a very important time for the disciples to adjust, Jesus' followers to adjust to the new thing that had been introduced at Easter. Um, 
As we said a moment ago, as I said a moment ago, Jesus passed through a death, his Good Friday death on the way to Easter. But there's a real sense in which the disciples also passed through a death. They passed through the death of the way they had always known Jesus in the past and the way their life had always been with God in the past. In the past, in that beautiful three-year period leading up to Good Friday, before Jesus died, they had been with Jesus every day. They had experienced his miracles. They'd been around his teaching. They were with him when he confronted the Pharisees and said things to the Pharisees they probably wish they could have said. Uh, so they were close to Jesus. They were probably admired for being so tight with Jesus. That was their world. That was their beautiful world. And they thought it was going to get better and better and better. But all of a sudden, that world passed through a death. So this 40-day period in the Gospels between the resurrection and the ascension was a time of adjustment for the disciples. It was a time of reorienting themselves interiorly from what was to what was going to be. So it was a time of adjustment. It was also a time of decision. Were they going to get on board with this new thing that Easter had ushered in or were they going to spend their best energy trying to get back to the way life used to be, a life that maybe they had preferred in the past? Um, and I'm talking about this today because these are the same dynamics that you and I are continually faced with. We're faced with an invitation to release what was so that we'll be available interiorly to receive what is and what's coming. So this question, will I cling to what was or will I release it into Jesus' care to make me, to make me available to what he's got going next? Um, I wanna talk about this 40-day period and this process of release a little bit. <clears throat> Uh, some years ago, I had the opportunity with my wife to uh, visit Florence, Italy. And in Florence is Michelangelo's statue, the David. And the David is this massive 18 foot tall, perfectly proportioned statue of the biblical character David, the moment before he confronts Goliath. And the David is set in this beautiful big alcove and you get to walk all the way around it and you view it from every direction and you just notice immediately that it's perfect. It's perfectly proportioned, it's polished, it's hard, it's seemingly unbreakable. And the expression on the David is, he's ready. He's, uh, he's defying Goliath, he almost looks like he's defying life. He's bigger than life, he's 18 feet tall. He looks like he could just take on the world. And this statue was created by Michelangelo when Michelangelo was 25 years old. It was his first major work. They didn't know if they wanted to give him the job because he didn't have a lot to show before that. But he, this was his first major work, he's 25 years old. And it's often felt that this perfect David is um, Michelangelo's idealized image, you know, his internal, what he sees inside himself, what his image is 
of what a perfect human being is supposed to look like. You know, you're ready for anything, you're, you're perfect, you just, um, you defy uh, anybody to overcome you. So that's the David. Well, so the David's in this alcove, but to get to the David, you walk down this long hallway, and on either side of the hallway are four other statues that Michelangelo also sculpted. And these statues are very different than the David. These statues are called the prisoners. And each statue is this big guy, mostly encased in rock, looking as though he's trying to push himself free. So they're emerging, but not yet free. They are kind of like, you know, this biblical idea of they're, they're already, but not yet. They're on their way, but they're not fully who they want to be. And Michelangelo did these statues when he was in his mid-50s, right? So now 30 years of life have gone by, and maybe, and maybe Michelangelo is thinking, well, these prisoners, maybe this is more really how life is. Maybe this is a little more real than the idealized uh, David that I did 30 years before. Um, and I, I have a sense that that is somewhat so. This picture of us emerging but not fully emerged, still a bit captured, um, is, is almost a more biblical uh, image for us. It's when, when we can notice who we are and how we are and our limitations and make peace with that and relax down into that and be in that, uh, it, it gives God an opportunity to come forward and do what he does. Uh, as, a, as the scripture says, um, which sort of reflects the spirit of the prisoners, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So he had you know, some affliction that he was carrying. But the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I sort of put myself in this category of um, those who uh, project the idealized life, the life that I wish was mine, the life that I almost demand to be mine. My wife and I joke uh, between ourselves, we call ourselves recovering idealaholics. It's easy for us to project the ideal, the ideal spouse, the ideal kids, the ideal bank account, the ideal ministry. You know, life is supposed to meet this ideal. And, uh, you know, if you happen to be in this group with us, those of us who, idea, you know, project our ideal and we try to attain it and we demand that life delivers that to us, you might have found in this last year or so that your ideal is taking a beating, right? Maybe your ideal has even been dismantled a bit. Um, so life as it is and being with God in what is, <clears throat> Maybe the hardest choice that we are faced with in this journey through life is, will I release my ideal, uh, my 
fant fantasy, uh, my romanticized idea of what life is supposed to deliver? Will I release this into God's care so that I'll be available to be with God in life as it is, in the life that I've been given? <clears throat> Will I let Easter gradually take root in me and bring me the quality of life it, it yearns to give me in my real life, or will I spend my best energy trying to get back to my life at an earlier time or into my fantasy? Will I make peace with life as it is? Your journey and mine is a lot like the disciples in the Gospels. Uh, after Jesus' resurrection, they had entered a new season. A new thing was happening. The old thing had passed away and something new was happening, but it was incomprehensible to them. It was perplexing to them. Uh, they didn't know if they liked it so much. Easter to, to us today, we, we celebrate it as a, this most wonderful thing, but for them it was this time of transition. And it was very perplexing, Jesus would sometimes be with them and he would sometimes not be with them. Sometimes he would come and he would look so different they couldn't recognize him. Uh, as they passed through this new uh, thing that he, Easter was delivering, there came a point uh, in the Gospels that it almost seems as though they were depressed and they just wanted some relief maybe, and they decided to go do something that was familiar to them. So they said to each other, let's just go fishing, right? Do you remember the story in John 21, they go fishing? So they go fishing, uh, they fish all night, they don't catch anything, and then they hear a voice from the shore, and it's Jesus. And um, there is this little interchange here now in the middle of the 40-day season, and uh, in John 21, that has embedded in it some very uh, important and helpful um, kind of guidance for us as we are moving through our transition time, transitioning from what was and what maybe we would prefer into the future and into what is. Let me just read a few lines from their encounter with Jesus in John 21. John 21, nine. They'd been fishing now all night, and now they get out of the boat. It says, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Come, have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. I'm just going to read that uh, again and encourage you in your mind's eye to picture this little moment in the Gospels if you can. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Come, let's have breakfast.
there are a few things in this encounter that I find really helpful, and I just want to briefly walk through them with you. First of all, what the disciples experience here is, first of all, what it shows me is that it's important to feel and mourn the thing that I've lost. The disciples were in touch with their sadness, and they were just, they were just moving with it. It's important that I feel and I mourn the thing that I've lost. Not that I try to be a perfect David, a kind of the, you know, a, a perfect soldier uh, for Christ and doing everything perfectly. No, but that I notice my pain and I feel it. As someone has said, if I don't mourn, I might despair. Uh, I might despair or I might become bitter. If I don't mourn the thing that I've lost fully, I might become bitter. Uh, someone has said, bitterness is grief that has not been mourned yet. Bitterness is grief that has not been mourned. So we get to feel what we feel, right? We get to feel what we feel with God. We get to be angry with God. We, be, we get, I get to be disappointed with God. We get to feel the pain deeply. Uh, as somebody said, initially, it's not about feeling better. It's about feeling everything. It's not about feeling better. It's not about finding a solution out of my pain. It's about being in my pain, in touch with myself, in loving touch with myself and with God. So that's the first thing we get to, we, we need to, feel what we feel and mourn what we mourn. And then we, let, we get to let God befriend us in our loss while we adjust to the future. We let God befriend us in our loss while we adjust to the future. We need to let Jesus do for us what he did for the disciples. We need to let Jesus build us a fire, offer some bread, uh, offer some warmth, comfort us. He, he gets it. He understands that this transition, these transitions we move through are very difficult. We, ne we need to let Jesus, <laughs> see if you can get your head around this a little bit, we need to let Jesus become our doula as we move toward the new thing that's trying to be born in us. Um, some of you know what a doula is. A doula is a loving companion who accompanies a mom through the birth process. So a mom who's in labor, a doula comes alongside just to offer loving words of encouragement, small loving acts of kindness. So the doula is not a medical professional. Uh, the doula is usually a mom or a sister or a friend, or uh, if you're really desperate, maybe a husband. But the doula's job is just to be there in this warm, encouraging way. And studies have shown that when a doula is present during the birth process, births happen more quickly and with fewer medical interventions uh, required. So <clears throat> we need to let God become a doula God for us not the uh, critiquing God, 
right? Not the impatient bystander God, you know, not the God with the, uh, uh, the looking at his watch, wondering why we're taking so long to get through uh, this labor that we are experiencing for new life to be born. No. Uh, and how do we let God be our doula? How do we let Jesus be our doula? Well, interestingly, there are a variety of ways, I'm sure, but one of the primary ways that we let God become that have that sort of doula spirit for us is by becoming our own doula. We become our own doula. Um, I would say personally, uh, one of the most transforming spiritual disciplines of the last 25 years of my life has been a shift from having a critiquing relationship with myself toward having a doula-like relationship with myself. That is, I've become my own best friend, my own strongest encourager. And I speak words of truth to myself. I don't let myself get away with a lot of stuff. I don't mean it like that. But I, speaking warmth, speaking truth, creating a sort of a, a greenhouse environment in which my life with God can grow. Um, you know, you, you can imagine how helpful would it be uh, in, in the labor room if somebody is present saying to the woman in labor, why are you screaming so loud? Why are you taking so much time to deliver this child? But uh, I don't know how you are, but I have found myself saying those sorts of things to myself many times over the years. So to exchange that out for uh, a nurturing relationship with myself where I can become my own best friend has been transforming. Uh, just one more thought on the doula. I've noticed over time that I am uh, God's primary incarnation of love to me. If you can kind of parse your way through that. I am God's primary incarnation of love toward me. You are God's primary incarnation of love toward you. Some of us have doula friends, uh, but they can't be with us 24-7. I'm with me 24-7. I am who God wants to show love to me through. So we want to become our own doula. And finally, um, what I notice in this passage in John 21 is that <clears throat> We are called to stay present for our birth. We're called to stay present for our birth, meaning when we uh, notice life, new life stirring in us, we want to be present to it. We want to attend to it. We want to love it. And we want to find courage to sort of ease into this new thing that's trying to be born within us when, when we're able to do that. So we want to attend our birth, notice it, and love this new life that's, that's trying to come to birth. Um, how this sort of gets expressed in John 21, we won't read it, but uh, in the next moment, after Jesus feeds them and comforts them on the shore, remember he calls Peter aside, and he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And what's Jesus doing here? He's, he's like the doula who, uh, 
who wants to give comfort to those uh, who are in labor, but the doula is never uh, satisfied to let the, the mom stay in labor forever. The doula wants to woo the mom forward to, the, to, to delivery of that child. And this is what Jesus is doing here. Jesus knows Peter is wired as a shepherd. That's his true self, that's his real self. So he's calling that forward. So we attend this new life when it evidences itself and we take baby steps into it. Um, and what we find is we're, we're taking steps toward our own real and most deep identity. All right, so these kinds of postures, if we can cultivate these postures, what you find is that you begin not to need the past in the same way you used to need the past or you don't need your fantasy in the same way you used to need your fantasy. Things begin to loosen up over time and you find you're, you're ready, you're, you yearn. Uh, the possibility is available to release um, my fantasy, my past, my precious things, my losses, my pains, even my bitterness. I'm ready to release that now into Jesus' care. And this happened with the disciples. Um, I won't read the passage, but you know it very well. Uh, the day of Jesus' ascension, uh, when the disciples saw Jesus ascend from the earth and go off into the heavens, they saw go with him all their former dreams, all their dreams that they used to have about how life was going to turn out. That was all leaving with Jesus. But somehow, the Gospels show us that they had made their transition because it says they allowed Jesus to leave with joy. It says they worshiped him as he left and, and then they went back to the temple and they stayed at the temple continually praising God. So they had worked through this 40 day period and now we're ready to release the past to make them open to the future. And the future comes 10 days later in Pentecost. And what seems to happen is as we're able to release our precious things into Jesus' care, this creates a broadening space inside us, which uh, is available now to be filled with a new spirit, a spirit of Pentecost, um, a whole spirit, an optimistic spirit, and an outreaching spirit. The, the culmination of our Pentecost filling um, is that ultimately, we yearn now to be a doula presence to others in whose new life is, is being born. So all this process and all this inner work, we, <clears throat> Uh, as you're moving through it, you can kind of feel, oh, it's just so selfish to treat myself so well and to love myself and befriend my, it feels kind of interned, right? Uh, or all this inner work feels kind of self-absorbed. Well, in fact, what it is, is it's preparatory. It's preparatory to you yourself now becoming a doula presence for others. And through that um, loving, compassionate, 
encouraging presence that you bring into the world, you are um, uh, bringing more new, new life uh, into the world. So there's just so much more we can say. I have a sense, I don't know, I have a watch on me right here, but I have a sense that I've been going quite a while already, so I'm gonna begin to bring it to a close. I'll just repeat what I said at the beginning. These, these words of Jesus, Jesus says to us today, Jesus says to his dear church, in me, you have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So how can he say this? Because he knows the story that Easter has created. And it's not a story that you and I have campaigned for or we have demanded. He just gave it to us as a free gift. <clears throat> and he yearns for us to let him take us by the hand and compassionately, expertly guide us deeper and deeper into this story and <clears throat> deeper and deeper into our own true selves. Why don't we take a moment and uh, what I'd like you to do, we're gonna take a moment of quiet. I'll say a prayer, then we're gonna take a moment of quiet. And dur during our quiet, I'd like to encourage you to just notice whether <clears throat> any things that we've been talking about here, any of these images, the prisoner, the David, any of the scripture path, any of the, you know, what, what has been stirring in you? What speaks to you? Is there, is there anything that is encouraging you in your life with God at this moment of transition for you? Is there anything that's encouraging you to say yes? To say yes to Jesus' yearning, his intention, to bring you deeper and deeper into the Easter story. After I say my prayer, I wanna give you a few moments just to notice whether there's any part of you that's ready now to say yes. And as you say yes, just know Jesus will be in touch with you in the coming days. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for this uh, story that we find ourselves in, the arc of which moves, <clears throat> moves uh, the world and moves us toward our real lives. And we ask you now, just in these next couple minutes, to uh, give us a sense for uh, where we are in this journey and give us a sense of courage to say yes to you for next steps.
On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. So whenever you eat of this, remember, remember who I've been, remember what I've taught you, remember the way I treated people and loved people, including you. In the same way, he took a cup and he blessed it. And he said, this is a new covenant, a new deal. Whenever you drink of this cup, do it in remembrance of me. So friends, as we make our way to this table that we've been at maybe many times before, it's important for us to remember that this is the table of the Lord, not of the church. It's made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, if you have a lot of faith, a little bit of faith, not much faith at all, maybe if you've been here before or it's been a long time or you've never been here before, maybe if you've tried to follow and even failed, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. So come and be fed, be healed, be poured into, put back together because Christ invites you the resurrected one. Have some bread and some fish. So as you take the bread, I invite you to hear these words. The body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat. As you take the cup, I invite you to hear these words. The blood of Christ just shed for you. Take and drink. Friends, our time has come to an end, and uh, I'm grateful that you spent it with us. Grateful for my friend Joel. Um, Just a couple of things uh, in terms of community life that are happening we want to draw your attention to. The Awaken Weekly goes out by email. Uh, I encourage you to sign up for that if you haven't yet, but um, there's a Zoom worship night tonight. Our good friend Melody leads those, 8.30 p.m., uh, the link for that is in the Awaken Weekly and on the Facebook Fireside Room, which is sort of our little private get-together on Facebook. Um, also, Jane Berg is leading a grandparenting seminar, book study, uh, with Judy Peterson. So that is uh, Mondays in May from 7 to 8.30. Uh, so if that applies to you, you've got two fine young two fine women to lead you in that. Um, I think that's about it. We're we're, going to meet in the park May 9th, so put that on your calendar. We're going to start gathering uh, outside together. I'm very, very, very excited about that to see your faces, so more details will come when that comes, but until then, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The church said together, amen. Grace and peace, friends. See you next week. Facebook.com backslash Awakening Community. Or on Twitter, when we think
Sainz.